Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hey, I'm Quinn Myers, and this week on Curious City, we're taking a closer look at one of the most iconic pieces of Chicago pop culture. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. Frank Sinatra's Chicago, one of his most popular songs. It's the singer's ode to the swingin' times of the roaring 1920s, to the decadence and hard partying in Chicago during Prohibition, when the sale and production of alcohol was illegal. Even if you've heard the song a hundred times, there's one lyric that might feel like a throwaway line. The town that Billy Sunday couldn't shut down. The town that Billy Sunday couldn't shut down. That lyric captures a moment in American history when the country was divided over whether you could legislate morality, with Chicago at the center of that debate. And the song's reference to Billy Sunday, one of the most influential preachers within the American evangelical movement, is what question asker Aaron Vigil has been curious about. I think I was on Navy Pier listening to a band playing them and singing them, and I'm like, what in the world is Billy Sunday doing in this song? For Aaron, the mystery of Billy Sunday goes back to his childhood. I grew up in rural Michigan in a fairly Christian fundamentalist home. And part of our existence in summer especially was going to camp meetings, tent revivals. Aaron says some of the older folks would often reference Billy Sunday nostalgically when talking about the good old days. But Aaron never really had a clear idea of who the man was. So who was Billy Sunday? And why would he have mattered in Chicago, at least enough to land in the Sinatra song? Sunday was born in Iowa during the Civil War. As a teenager, he gains a reputation for being a particularly fast runner. He was so fast, in fact, that in 1883, he gets scouted by a coach for the Chicago White Stockings, the team that later became the Cubs. In Chicago, Sunday isn't exactly an all-star, but he is popular with fans for his clean-cut image, in contrast to the reputation a lot of ballplayers had at the time for drinking and gambling. After a few seasons with the White Stockings, Billy Sunday's narrative takes a turn that would come to define the rest of his life. He begins listening to sermons at the Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago's famous evangelical church and social services center. There was a a sense of something missing in his life. And I think that probably is one of the, the things that motivates him to go to the Pacific Garden Mission. That's historian Robert Martin. He's the author of a Billy Sunday biography called Hero of the Heartland. Martin says almost immediately, Sunday undergoes a religious conversion. As he puts it, he got saved. Martin says after his conversion, Sunday feels increasingly called to religious work and eventually gives up baseball to work for the YMCA in Chicago. From there, he starts assisting with revival meetings across the Midwest. And eventually, he starts to lead them. 
He doesn't have a meteoric rise to fame. It's a slow, gradual process from what he called the kerosene circuit, the small towns where there's no electricity, to larger and larger towns and cities until by the early teens, he's beginning to preach in in big cities. Big cities like Atlanta, New York, and, of course, Chicago. With help from widespread newspaper and magazine coverage, Sunday slowly becomes a household name across the country. Thousands of people start to pack into temporary wooden halls, called tabernacles, to see him preach. And as the crowds grow larger and his popularity soars, Sunday's onstage behavior becomes increasingly fiery, physical, and even vitriolic. America needs to be taken down to God's bathhouse and the hose turned on her and the time isn't far distant when the wheels of God's judgment are going to go sweeping through this old God-hating world. Sunday would often play up the sports imagery from his past by catching imaginary baseballs, sliding for home, and boxing with the devil. Whiskey-soaked, Sabbath-breaking, infidel, bootlegging old world is bound to the cross of Jesus Christ by the golden chains of love. That wild energy and his theatrics soon became just as much of a draw as the gospel message he was spreading. Martin says Sunday preached about a lot of social and political issues, but there was one he championed more than the rest, prohibition. His message is resonating with the concerns and fears of a lot of Americans. And so that helps him have a broader appeal than maybe he might otherwise have had. More than three decades after he first came to the city to play baseball, in 1918, Sunday returns to Chicago for what he calls an extended crusade. His tabernacle was built along the eastern end of Chicago Avenue, not far from the Water Tower Shopping Center. It reportedly held up to 16,000 people, which he would often fill several times a day, encouraged by daily coverage in the Chicago Tribune. Many of Sunday's sermons in Chicago railed against the liquor dealers and the wets, people who were pro-alcohol. But although prohibition would go into effect less than two years later, Sunday's moral stand didn't have the kind of reach or influence we hoped it would. The narrative of Chicago during prohibition would come to be dominated by mobsters, bootleggers, and vice. Everything Sunday stood against— And in 1922, a songwriter named Fred Fisher decides to capture this moment. He writes a song called Chicago, which includes the Billy Sunday lyric. This was more than 30 years before Frank Sinatra would make it famous. Fisher's song speaks directly to Sunday's ultimate failure to tame the Chicago of the Roaring Twenties. Sunday did well in Chicago, but I don't think you could say that he really changed the lifestyle of the city very much. And the author, Fred Fisher, who wrote that song, understood that the cities were what they were. And despite a forceful figure like Sunday, he really probably couldn't change things as much as some people wanted him to, or actually sometimes thought he did. So Chicago, the song, doesn't really take off until Sinatra gets a hold of it in the late 1950s. I don't believe it came to Sinatra's attention until he started to do research and plan the film The Joker is Wild. That's Chuck Granada, a Frank Sinatra expert who has authored numerous projects on the singer. Granada says Sinatra recorded the song for the movie, but his version never made it in. Chicago was then released as a single in 1957. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. In many ways, the song has come to represent a romanticized image of Chicago in the 20s. 
Billy Sunday's inclusion becomes a sort of jab at temperance, an affirmation of the values Sunday despised and Frank Sinatra celebrated. The town that Billy Sunday couldn't shut down. The town that Billy Sunday could not shut down. Despite prohibition and despite trying to, you know, uh, rid the town of excess and vices, he wasn't able to do that. And I think that's something that Sinatra certainly would have admired. I saw a man, he danced with his wife in Chicago, Chicago, my hometown. Reporting for this story came from me, Quinn Myers. Special thanks to my dad, Rich Myers, for encouraging me to follow Sunday's story. Jesse Dukes and Olivia Richardson produced this story. Catherine Nagasawa is our digital producer, and Alexandra Solomon is the editor of Curious City. Support for Curious City comes from the Conant Family Foundation. Next time on Curious City. You know Chicago is right on Lake Michigan. But did you know that in the 40s, crews hauled in millions of pounds of fish from the lake each year? I know that they sell the Dominic's and Jewel, most of the major hotels. Smoked fish and, and fresh fish was a huge part of Chicago culture. But these days, hardly any fish come from the lake. So whatever happened to Chicago's fishing industry? That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.